0: This show is brought to you by Safety
1: FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 49th episode of the Practice of Learning Team's podcast show. On today's show, Brent Robinson and I spend time with safety mythologist and historian Carsten Bush. Carsten is the Indiana Jones of safety and the author of works such as Heinrich, Safety Myths 101, and If You Can't Measure It, Maybe You Shouldn't. This week, Carsten published his new book, The First Rule of Safety Culture, a counter C-word manifesto. Does the world really need another book about the C-word and safety being culture? Carsten would say no. His new book is about thinking critically about safety culture. Structured into six parts, the book covers safety culture discourse, approaches and applications through a critical lens. For example, whether we should see culture as a tool to fix something, or rather, as a lens to study and understand the book also tries to cover other useful and practical suggestions for different approaches or at least different ways to think about these subjects. Warning, if you ever wanted to be a culture architect, hopefully you will think twice after reading this. So please sit back and enjoy this two-part series as we discuss the C word in safety with Karsten. Carsten, welcome to the uh, welcome to the show, The Practical Learning Teams. It's great to have you and, and it's been a long time coming. Thank you. Super excited, super excited that we're the first people to interview you on, on the day of the new launch of your new book, <laughs> The First Rule of Safety Culture, a counter C-word manifesto.
2: Thank you, and, and uh, uh, excellent timing.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. I'm
0: sure that'll it start a lot of conversations off, Carsten.
2: I, I really hope so. I I, I also chose chose the cover uh, intentionally to to provoke some people <laughs> about the social socialism of safety and, and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're the, you're the red panther of safety. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's fantastic. And tell me what what was the inspiration behind the book. <clears throat>
2: Yeah, well, uh, it's it's a book that has been in the making, but but not really making then in the wait uh, for about four years. Just after I wrote uh, Safety Mid 101, I was already planning to do a follow-up and I gathered material and I thought I have to write more about safety culture, uh, especially because the, the culture word, it's it's so overused. And well, I've been gathering material in in the last four, maybe even five years. And then uh, this summer, there were some discussions on LinkedIn and other forums that just annoyed me so much. I thought now I really have to write this book uh, to do something about, well, (laughs) at least to contribute to doing uh, something about this uh, culture babble right and then uh, well because i had so much lying around uh, the book almost wrote itself uh, i just had to uh, well build some structure and i think i, I succeeded nicely there and then yeah, <clears throat> write the stuff together and get it off my chest finally so it, it was a great relief to do this
1: i was going to say so it's actually therapy it, it, it
2: was it, it was a kind of exorcism uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so we've got we've got a socialist, we've got exorcism, and we've got the C word. Yeah. You're gonna get a lot of fan mail.
2: Yeah. So. <laughs> I really hope so. You'll we'll be very busy.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. And in, in particular, I, I like where you talk about um, uh, that, that that link about whether we should see culture as a tool to fix something, or rather than a lens to study and understand. What's that behind that?
2: Well, that's the, the two main directions uh, in, uh, in the safety culture study that have emerged uh, over the last uh, decades. And I think, well, it wasn't even Frank Kildemont uh, who, who came up with it. I, I've forgotten the name uh, now of the scientist who first coined it. But uh, Frank Kildemant, in his uh, doctoral thesis, he uh, discusses these two main directions, the the functionalist approach, where uh, people uh, see culture as something that they can form and create and, and, well, use as a tool to uh, achieve organizational goals. Mm -hmm. And, And then you have to... Say traditional uh, approach uh, where uh, co- the whole culture concept comes from uh, from anthropology and sociology it's, well uh, where they look at uh, well at the community or a group and then use the cultural lens to study that group. <laughs> which which sees culture as something to describe stuff that you see not as something to uh, manage or yeah <clears throat> and, then, and then well and then that's the, the main difference uh, do you see it as 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 a lens as something to explain stuff like, for example, Diane Vaughan uh, did uh, when she started NASA after the Challenger uh, crash. She loses the, the culture word a lot. Uh, and, and then she uses it as a lens. She, she doesn't necessarily make recommendations on you should transform the culture or something, I think.
1: Right.
2: Uh, and, and then you have to the, the common approaches that say, uh, well, you have a really bad safety culture. Uh, as uh, the, the investigation for Chernobyl, for example, which concludes uh, the safety culture was weak or lacking, or how they phrased it, and Texas City is one, and there are many other investigations, and then people start to fix the culture, and that's, that's the functionalist approach.
1: So,
0: do you see culture in this sort of corporate context is very temporary? in my mind, because it's about whoever the leadership is at that time and what they sort of invoke. So that's why I find culture an interesting word, because I'm not sure how that rolls out. Because, I've, you know, I've been in organizations or around organizations that have had a, I'm not talking about from a safety perspective, but say an innovation culture, they would say they have. And then the leader leaves and it just vaporizes it, it changes, it, it forms a new... <clears throat> you know, a new uh, version of itself.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Cult, culture is, is, well, at the same time, it's, it's uh, temporary, as you say. And, and then it's continuous because it's, it never starts. It's, it just is there and then it changes continuously due to leadership, due to new technology that is introduced, due to external factors that are beyond your powers. Yeah. Like all, all our organizational cultures have changed the last year because we were sent home and uh, work from home. That does something with your culture yes, because yeah, people interact in different ways. Culture is something I, I said culture doesn't start, but culture does start because when we three should start uh, organization and we start working together, there, there will emerge something between us that is our culture. And well, <clears throat> when, when we change the way we interact, if I would to move to New Zealand and we would meet uh, physically, we would interact in different ways than through uh, Zoom or Teams or whatever yeah. tool we use. So
1: yes, that's always morphing. It's that and that collective morphing. It's that sort of tribal component that's changing. That that sounds that sounds really good. And um I, I like the fact that you talk about the use the use of a word of a lens because we talk about that a lot within learning teams so so we talk about things that you know um you know safety to safety differently talks about this concept of you know workers is imagined and work is done and what we always talk about is that um how the the lens that the worker has around workers imagine or work is done is very different to the lens of the organization and then the lens of that work team of that work group, of those group, is actually different again. Yeah, and one of the things that we, we talk about is the fact that it's important that people can see things through a different lens, because that helps them in being able to critically appraise something rather than simply evaluate it or assess it. I
2: totally agree, and this is—I uh, think—that's one of the core things of uh, let's call it the, the new view on safety. Um, when I I started nearly 30 years ago as a safety advisor, and maybe you too, uh, I, I was trained in finding causes, finding the the correct answer to uh, to something. And then as you move on and you develop, and well, I've been on a whole uh, long uh, trip, etc. Um, then you see. Uh, or start to realize uh, one uh, version of a story is not enough to describe the uh, complex situation uh, you actually are seeing. You cannot capture uh, a situation in just one narrative. You need different stories and so you will need the worker's voice and maybe you will need uh, the the version of his colleague and you will need the version of a shift leader and you will probably also uh, need the the version of uh, uh, the director or maybe even an outsider and then you get a better picture and then you should realize you have never the full picture
1: you know, just a
2: maybe you yeah. should even have the the machines uh picture of the situation yes <laughs> how, how how does the machine perceive that that <laughs> it is being worked with but at least the you, designer's view yeah yeah, but, but yeah then, the designer's view
1: yeah because that's really interesting because I mean I go back to it I mean that goes back to risk management 101 which is to say that if you don't if you don't get the scope and the context of the criteria right early on, then that creates massive holes throughout your risk management lifecycle. So if you don't go out and engage with the people who who basically, you know, either get exposed to the risk or how influence the risk, how how can you ever sort of get to understand the risk at that point in time? Because it's always going to morph. It's always going to change. Yep. And, and, and at the moment, I, I think I've been working with a group of organisations lately, and we talk about that, you know, risk management is part science and part art. And that yep. if, if, if we think about, if we think about um, the whole mode around continuous improvement, we did this piece of work that looked at Deming's original work. And everyone talks about, you know, plan, do, check and act. But he talked about plan, do, study and apply. So how do we shift from study and apply? to check and act what happened what did it become such a sort of a binary function
2: yeah that's um, that's a really interesting one uh, <laughs> I, and i haven't uh, looked in in it but uh, you you see it in so many uh, areas when uh, a concept gets uh, simplified uh, in in well ways like this mm. that you get get from the from the study the the, the more well re- reflective side of things and then well here is what's right and you compare it to what's done and then uh, well what's done it's, it's wrong if it's not the same as yeah what is prescribed it's it's it, it's it's about speed it's about well it, it's probably uh, uh, some tailor is taking a uh, uh, deming and then uh, <laughs> applying the, the one best way idea to
0: to this i was when you were talking about when you started 30 years ago i was thinking about my own journey was as an industrial engineer 30 years ago and we used a stopwatch and you or i came to the conclusion quite quickly that we'd come up with this new procedure of how people should do something and then we're all surprised when they did it a different way and you realize that it's always going to happen people are either going to find a shortcut that's actually better because they're doing it every day and you know my view is that there's no single black line you've got to have some upper and lower control limits on either side of it that lets people move around safely and your capacity has to be built into your system and you know as i started off i we were trying to fix the people and on that journey you change and realize that you know i went through the lean journey as well and um it brings you to a different point that it is about the people that are right at the work face that understand and how they have to adapt every day if we don't take the time to understand that we lose we don't we don't have a a good picture of what's going on
1: and i think that leads back to what deming talked about that you know we have to we have to understand um the effect of change and then learn for that change and, and improve from it and and that change can be seen as both a as a threat and as an opportunity yet a lot of safety treats everything as a threat
2: yeah well it, it's the same uh, what a lot of safety does uh, with risk uh, because and, and and hazard for that matter because we we want them and we need them uh, like when i i always use this uh, this example uh, i have a cup of coffee and it's hot. And if you buy it uh, in, in some coffee shop, you will probably get the, the, the cup where it says a caution hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. I want it hot and I want it bloody hot. Yeah. And, and I want it strong. Uh, it should give me heart arrest uh, as a matter of speak. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would complain if it was weak coffee and cold. The safest coffee you could get. We don't want safe coffee. No. we want no. coffee that keeps us awake that, that tastes well and and we want cars that drive fast and so we want the hazard we want the risk but we have to control it in some way
1: yeah
2: and and well that's well, what you said uh, Brent uh, that uh, that you, you need this this well these limits what what is acceptable and and within those uh you can vary. Yeah.
1: So so if we use that, we call it the freeway analogy, that you're building guardrails either side of the freeway. And that, that's your upper and lower control limit, are so your guardrails. And all and you're trying to do is trying to get people to go through the flow of the freeway. But what we've done is we've, we've decided we're going to paint white lines. And we've told people to do the speed. And we've also told them that you must indicate three seconds in advance before changing lanes. <clears throat> But in reality, the freeway is just chaos. People are nicely changing lanes. There are no white lines. People are able to change lanes. And for some reason, they can do that without hitting each other as they flow through. We we try and focus on trying to control everything rather than saying, why don't we understand how people navigate that chaos so well? And how can we adjust those guardrails? So rather than being a straight road, those guardrails are always curving. And it looks more like a sine wave because it's it's moving up, it's moving down, it's flowing. And, and do you think um, COVID has has proven to us that concepts like just in time, these concepts of of you know doing everything in the moment in the present doesn't function well when 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 there's a major shift or change in systems. Actually, we're sort of we're going back now to being. Do you think we're going back to being more innovative as a result of COVID?
2: I really don't have a clue. Uh, perhaps in some areas perhaps not in others and and I don't think that just in time and all that is uh, is necessarily bad it just hasn't to be applied in every situation as, as people uh, try Uh I think it should be restricted to a few uh, very controlled uh, situations, and then and then you have to be mindful uh, that stuff like COVID can happen because probably no one really saw that coming. We all knew well it was possible, and perhaps and SARS a few years ago. Uh, but then you have to be prepared that your uh, controlled system will be out of control for a while, and. <laughs> Uh, how how do you get it back so you you need to be prepared for that
0: but that i think i think you know just in time you know it works right but what i see with you know some organizations is that they jump onto a tool and then try apply it across everything and i don't think that works or multiple organizations apply they go oh there's a really good tool that works for toyota let's let's put it in over here and it, it there's all sorts of cultural organizational differences that are not the same and and we we need to take that into account and i that's why you know i see people talk about safety and you know this works here well that's great fantastic we should understand how that works but it might not work everywhere and not one one size will fit all and we've got to um we got to get away from trying to apply that in my mind. Yeah, yeah
2: I, I totally agree. And this is Deming again, uh, Deming said that uh, you have to understand uh, the, the theory uh, behind stuff and uh, perhaps you should have said uh, you need to understand the context and, and all that, uh, not just uh, copy the rituals as you, for example. See, you mentioned uh, Lean uh, earlier on. Uh, when I see uh, a lot of lean implementations, well, they just copy the Kanban board and they have stand, stand-up sessions and stuff like that. So they do the rituals and then I think, now we're doing lean. Yes. <laughs> no, no, you're no. doing not. <laughs> and and no. you're not even realizing or, or s- reflect about whether lean is suitable for you. Because if you have a, a well, an administrative organization that, that works with, well, not with products uh, as such, but more with knowledge. Uh, how can you apply lean? Well, you probably can apply some uh, aspects of it, but oh, not that... not in, in, in the copy Toyota way.
0: No, no I always get amazed that you know I, I've been into knowledge-based organizations and they go, oh, we've done a 5S. I don't understand how that even works in your organization, actually. You know, you can sort everything you want. But, you know, if, you're, if they're saying to me that we're getting rid of waste, you know, we've got a procedure and we've found that um, it's wasteful, we're ticking more boxes than we need to, you know, more document, then, okay, cool. You're removing non-value adding activity, fantastic. You know, so if it's purest sense as that, I think that that can make sense. But, you know, I, I've I've seen as many lean implementations fail as succeed, you know, because people, and again, it comes back to leadership. Sometimes they go, "We're going to, we're going to be a lean organization," and then that leader moves on, and it just dissipates. You know, it's it, it's not very um, sustainable, I guess. It's about
2: sustainable. Yeah, and you see the same with with all these uh, culture uh, things. Uh, people uh, go out, and then, oh, uh, Dupont uh, does have a great uh, culture, so. Let's copy what they do, yep. and then or follow some standard. in In the Netherlands, uh, where I grew up, uh, there they have now implemented the certification on on the safety culture letter, You know the maturity model uh, by yep. Hudson and Reason mm-hmm. and or Fleming. Uh, what version you choose? They've actually taken the, the Hearts and Minds uh, model of Shell and then transformed it into some kind of nearly ISO standard. Wow. And I ask companies to be certified on it. And you need to be certified on a certain level uh, in order to get uh, some, some work. What, what does that do with, with both your culture and, and uh, the, the function of, uh, of a tool like this? It, it it just well it boggles my mind and it it's one of the reasons that I wrote this new book to to rally a bit about practices like these.
1: Right, so you're gonna yeah, yeah, but the anarchist, the anarchist. It's um, it's yeah. No, it, I I understand because look, and, and if people aren't if people aren't showing the alternative, I mean we're, we're really good at putting people down at the moment. Um, I, I see at the moment, I, I see quite often, um, Carson, that we're seeing this thing about, um, you know, the science of safety. We're having this debate about does everything have to be driven by science? Uh, a lot of the work that we've done in the past has come from adult education principles around engaging um, and about how how to uh, get workers uh, involved, how how workers can lead um, things because workers have the best knowledge and information. They're the experts and how can the organization support them? And we're using adult education principles to do that. Do we need science to validate that? Or are we using the principles from adult education that have been around for, you know, hundreds of years?
2: Which maybe are not science. Yeah. Uh, well, you earlier said that there's the, the art and there's the science and i think there should be a good mixture of the two and and probably uh, the the art uh, has some science uh, aspect in it but uh, it's much more than what is generally uh, seen as science because you can also ask uh, what science is it then Uh, should it be uh, the the measurable uh, kind of Natural science, which Dennis preferred, I, I think that's one of the drivers that people uh, try to measure everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or should it be uh, well more the, the uh, humanitarian uh, kind of science, where you approach thing more descriptive and qualitative? And and uh, my, my, well, one of my journeys is more towards that uh, that kind. I'm also an uh, engineer by education and then i've just well drifted towards the other end now
1: <laughs> Yeah, well, um uh just as brent robinson came from an engineering background i came from a systems analyst background where we, we behaved quite differently in that when we were designing systems back in the 1980s um computers were super expensive so you didn't want people to break the computer, so you actually built the system based on how people do things and that you spent your time to understand how they do things. And then you designed a concept called error trapping, which was allowing which was allowing users to get it wrong, but then getting it wrong didn't then result in a failure of the computer. So maybe that was some very early concepts about allowing people to fail safely <laughs> at that time. Because, you know... Um, Computers were super expensive in that way. So you you put, it's fair to say that we had this hierarchy that the person that did, that did the design was there to map out all the context and the narrative and then the coders picked that up and then they did the labor. And then you would test and evaluate that with the users to make sure it was actually effective through their eyes, not through the eyes of the analyst or the coder
2: but yeah, uh, I've, I've just yeah i've just read the uh, design of everything they thinks by dan norman uh, so you actually did all what he says
1: back in the 80s
2: back in the <laughs> 80s well when he wrote his book the first time so
1: yeah yeah but that, that's how we got trained that's exactly how we got trained was was to basically do that because it was about being um It was about being effective and efficient. And we got trained to spend all your time in trying to understand the problem, not trying to fix it.
2: Would you just just a spontaneous thought, would you say that uh, here the uh, technological development has actually uh, worked a bit counter? Because with the cheaper computers, uh, well, I I remember how how lean my uh, first uh, computer was. Because we had this limited this this space, mm-hmm. so you, you just uh, you just got rid of all the wasted space on your computer to to get more on it that you wanted to use. And nowadays, well, you, you have computers with a huge hard drives and a lot of memory and and it uh, looks to me and I'm no programmer that that programmers are just lazy and have a lot of uh, code that doesn't need to be there
1: yeah no you, you, and, you and
2: also you, you have all these these weird errors that well that you have to update your system all the time
1: yeah so so all systems was always focused about optimizing so you had to design it to be absolutely optimal because you didn't you didn't have that buffer, you didn't have that flexibility to do that. So you would you would write you would write sorting programs, indexing programs to to maximize efficiency by understanding the user. Now it doesn't matter anymore. Just let them create let clutter just become normal.
0: But I think that that's also a change in our the way that we do things as well. Because several years ago, I ran a um, problem-solving program with a group of people in knowledge. It was around the budget that they uh, the yearly budget that they would produce, and we went onto the servers and we looked at last year's Excel spreadsheet for the budget, and. Across the servers and across the hard drives, we found over 40 copies of the same budget, and it was just been saved numerous times by different people. Would be with you know, dot .br. Dot, you know, .cs. Dot, you know, and everybody had their own copy, and there was multiple versions of truth there. And um, you know, I think as users, have, we've got lazy as well because we copy copying. Oh yeah, I've got so much disk space, I don't care. I'll put it in the cloud. You know, I think that, and that's. Leading to it, and but we create more information than we can possibly ever use. And I think that's that's true of safety. So you know, I think of the 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 amount of checklists and documents that we produce in the safety space at the moment, and I have no idea what they're doing. Which sort of leads me to your um, your other book, which is, if you can't measure it, maybe you shouldn't, because. We we place a we place a lot of emphasis on we've done this many of something this month. Safety walks, whatever it may be. I'm not sure that that's actually along the way. But obviously, you did a lot of work and looking at that to under, to try and understand that and start that conversation. Mm-hmm.
1: you listeners for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.LearningTeamsCommunity.com Support the authors of The Practice of Learning Teams, purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.LearningTeamsBook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors.